obviously we have a huge advantage because we are working together in space and we are motivated to get along because our lives depend on each other. <laughs> so that gives us a little more incentive to try and work on that. But in some ways, you know, our lives depend on each other, you know, here at home with the folks that we're uh, in quarantine with as well. Today on the User's Guide to Now, what do we need to do to get along with the people that we're confined with rather than trying to kill one another? I'm Dr. Alex Kratoski. After a month of lockdown, the cracks are starting to show in our little earthbound ship. My family and I do love each other, but we're also used to having our own lives. And while we do have a noble mission to save our communities and our frontline workers from COVID-19, there have been moments when there's been a little bit too much togetherness and we've all really wished for an escape pod. Nobody knows how long this is going to last, and so it's time for me to get some advice on how to change our mental model so that we can continue to live together and stay alive. On every episode of User's Guide to Now, we speak with people who've been in similar situations before with the hope that they can help all of us through this extraordinary time. Today, I'm in conversation with Dr. Peggy Whitson, NASA astronaut and former commander of the International Space Station. Peggy spent 665 days in space, confined to a tiny metal tube with people that she had to develop good relationships with. And she also had to lead them through complicated and highly technical life-critical tasks. And the outcome, apart from survival and science, is a list of five expeditionary behaviors that she developed that are essential for teams to prosper in extreme situations. Number one in Peggy's Teamwork 101 is learning how to get along. We have um, a, a very huge respect for each other. So even though, you know, we're from different cultures and we're from, uh, you know, we have different priorities in each of our lives. We understand that that respecting everyone's culture, everyone's opinions is important. And you can demonstrate respect um, in a lot of different ways. You know, I'm on board the space station when, when somebody's running behind on the timeline, you know, we always tried to eat lunch together. Uh, we would, you know, go find out what they wanted for lunch and make it and warm it up for them so they didn't have to take the time to do that on their own. And um, just these, they're small daily tasks that show the respect and, uh, and caring for each other that I think makes the group more cohesive. I do think it's also important for people to be resilient and not easily offended by things, but willing to communicate you know, when it's something that matters to you, you know, to talk about the issue instead of just uh, hiding from it or burying your head in the sand. Because after time goes on, uh, things will get even more and more irritating if you if you don't um, communicate about those those uh, differences uh, or anything that might be seen as disrespectful of each other. So, I think. Resilience and communication are the real keys to developing like a space culture. 
on the ISS or, or you're working on other missions. Do you guys have a regular routine? Yes. Uh, well, we always ate. And when I was the commander uh, on board the station, we would eat our evening meals together. That was the one time assured we were all going to be together. Um, sometimes uh, lunch would offer that opportunity as well, but sometimes the scheduling wouldn't allow that. But evening meal is something we would always do together. It allowed us that that communication time to ask for help, to ask um, to coordinate what we were doing with each other, talk about you know something funny that happened during the day, and because we all work in different modules, we wouldn't necessarily be aware of that. Just a time to share, which I think was you know very important for us in terms of uh, team cohesion. But also it gives you an opportunity as a group if, if you're having issues with something or maybe we did something together as a team that day and it didn't go as smoothly as we would have liked and it's an opportunity to talk about, okay, what do you think we should try and do better the next time in order to make that, you know, more effective or, you know, where we won't stumble over uh, each other the same way we did today. Do you have any tried and tested methods on on how to make sure everybody's doing okay? Yeah, so two of our expeditionary skills actually work directly into that idea. And one of them is self-care, self-management, which is taking care of yourself and making sure that you're rested and that you have everything you need, whether that's alone time or, uh, you know, taking care of yourself at whatever you need to do. But it's also team care. You need to be checking up with other people making sure that they are doing well from your perspective. Because the one thing that you're really crappy at as an individual is being able to tell when you're tired or fatigued. You can't see it in yourself as easily as you can see it in someone else. And so being attentive to the team uh, and looking for those signs of stress uh, and discussing them, you know, hey, I, you seem to be upset or you seem to be stressed, you know, let's can can we talk about why and is there something we need to change about how we're doing things? Uh, that direct communication about those soft skills, I think, is is challenging for a lot of people. I don't really think we're trained to talk about them easily, uh, at least most people. At least my group of astronauts, that was something largely we weren't focused on doing. We'd always been worried about being the technical expert on something. And now, you know, it was, it's much more apparent that to be successful, you actually have to be able to communicate about those uh, less technical things and actually broach problems, broach conflict, broach uh, those issues that, you know, normally you might just avoid with the people that you work with. I wanted to ask quickly about self-care. Because when, when you are on a mission, it's pretty busy. It's not as if you guys are on holiday up there. You're, you know, you're working, mm -hmm. you're working hard. <laughs> I'm wondering how you create a, a, a mindset that allows you to be vulnerable in these types of situations. Well, I think it's, it's really important for people to acknowledge, um, you know, when they've they hit their limits or when they feel stressed. It, it tells the team that everybody's feeling stressed. And it also 
gives everyone the opportunity to help out and to be a partner or a, a, a member of that team. You know, bringing people into your, your feelings, uh, you know, whether it's fatigue, whether it's stress, whether it's workload, what, whatever it is that's, you know, burdening you, I think uh, is extremely helpful and it helps the team as a whole to recognize that when they feel that way, they also can talk to you and and share share all aspects of that, you know, because not everyone is going to be overloaded on every day, but it can, you know, it can be something that you offload to each person to to build an even higher functioning team. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you're also dealing with other adults. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, yes. which is great. It can pre- it can present challenges. <laughs> Not everybody gets along when it comes down to it. But in terms of you know we're, what we're also dealing with, I have I have friends who who have children in my daughter's class who have you know three or f- four kids in some cases, and and they're having to manage those dynamics as well in a way that perhaps they haven't had to in a very very long time, and. Do you have any advice or examples that you might be able to offer about how to um, how emotional communication can actually be implemented in that context? I think the one of the big success is you know talk to your family group or what you know whatever your group is as a as the team, and you know the parent is going to be the leader, but the parent then has to take responsibility for allowing the team to buy into, okay, help me try and figure out all these jobs that we need to get done because now we're all at home all the time, every day, and all these things need to be done. And how do you think we ought to do it? Should should we just pick a chore and one person does it or do we rotate it? You know, let them buy into the idea of how are we going to be successful as a team? because we're going to have to, each of us, do more in order to be successful. So I think that's maybe one way to get get um, the family unit as one working together uh, in a little more positive way. Communication, resilience, and giving everyone ownership over mission-critical jobs is the way that astronauts not just keep the peace, but how they prosper as a team. Now, back here on planet Earth, our teammates are not fellow astronauts, but often blood relatives of varying ages and abilities. So I took Peggy's expeditionary behaviors to somebody closer to home. Hi, my name is Bean Gifford. I live on a 47-foot sailboat with my husband and our children, currently two teenagers, uh, 15 and 17 years old. We are anchored on the Pacific coast of Mexico in a little town called Punta de Mita that is near Puerto Vallarta. Um, tomorrow, we're not sure where we're going to be, um, possibly here, but we're looking at sailing to more isolated parts of Mexico right now. Can you tell me a little bit about how long it took you to get into a working routine with the family? So now it just it seems abnormal to not be in this circumstance. Yeah, 
when we moved aboard, our children were newly turned ages four, six, and nine. So now we have almost 16, 18, and a 20-year-old who's off in college. Um, they adapted very quickly. I mean, kids are so malleable and adaptable. And, and uh, to them, moving from a large suburban five-bedroom house into a, oh, I could not even be 500 square feet in our boat, um, was really not a problem. They had their touchstones, their mom and dad around all the time now. And so life was great as far as they were concerned. Uh, for Jamie and I, it took a little longer. It took me almost a year. I had a job that um, involved a lot of travel and a lot of being uh, 24-7 on call uh, for clients that I had to take care of and make feel good and, um, and you know, and, and perform for. And that was hard to suddenly let go because of and this might sound a little ridiculous, but because of the positive feedback loop that it brought, I loved my job. I had a great job. And although all I wanted was to escape in a sailboat and adventure with my family, it was still hard to give up the, the rewards that it offered in terms of a job well done, an appreciative client, um, being able to see someone that I'd mentoring get promoted. Um, those rewards evaporated overnight. And, um, and that was difficult. So I think what we look for in the boat and what helped to find adjustments were looking for other places to replace those positive feedback loops that we lost when our jobs, um, in our case, went away entirely. Um, but I imagine for folks that are sequestering now, um, in some cases, they're still trying to juggle a little bit of work, but but it's all mixed up. And, and those kids um, probably aren't saying, yes, you knocked that breakfast out of the park. That was awesome. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> so how do you guys keep tabs on everybody's well-being? We do something um, very deliberately, which is always at the end of the day, sit down and have dinner together. Even though, especially as our kids are teenagers, we often um, squirrel off into different parts of the boat, absorbed in our own activities or projects or books or whatever. Um, always we're together to sit down at dinner and talk about what's going on in our lives. There's a lot of what's going on in our immediate environment. And that is because we're processing it as a family, uh, inevitably also, how does that make you feel? feel? And then how are you feeling? So it isn't actually like we have a tick list out that says, let's check in and make sure everyone expresses how they're doing. Um, it's much more organic than that. Do you, do you guys sort of have any signs that you recognize that somebody isn't coping at the moment, is, isn't doing well, or is just sort of feeling not quite in their skin? It, I mean, if one of us is out of sorts, we're, you know, we're so tight as a family, you can't miss it. And sometimes the most important thing is to give each person their space. Um, to be deliberate about it. And um, in a small space, that's not always easy. Um, there are ways to, to find that space um, and to give it to each other as well um, when each of us needs it until they're able and ready to talk about it. Our daughters love to paint. So maybe sitting down with one of them to try to understand one of their paintings or get them to talk about their paintings and see where that goes. Or um, go up and, and play a game of cards, just the two of us, just maybe, you know, cribbage and see what happens? Do they just need a little space to talk or do they just need a little time to be? Now, of course, this evolved um, over the time as they grew up. And so I'm wondering if there are if how much the, the intuition that you guys have has changed over time. Because, you know, a four year old, four year old is very different from a from a 16 year old. So different. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of yes. it does, in a sense, um, connect back to that because we're able to provide so much more dedicated one-on-one -on -one time, uh, parent to child, than we were able to before. Um, and so if there's a, one of the younger children spinning out 
well, that means it's time to take them off on their own, go for a walk, give them special time, do something so that you're focusing really wholly on them, even if it's just to walk quietly together without talking, so that they have that um, human support, that knowledge that they're being cared for and they're going to get through this and that you're there. Um, connecting with each other one-on-one, then making it easier probably for us to manage that as a group dynamic um, as they've gotten older. Is there any other way that you can advise people to help them get back on track or help not them, but perhaps the people that are around them? Because it really, when you're in that kind of confined space, everybody does need to work together in order to prosper rather than to rip each other apart. (laughs) Right. And that's it exactly. And I think a really great thing to do is to step out of yourselves and and have a compassion for the people around you. Um, When we were approaching the Marquesas, so we were south of the equator, we were in the last days of our trip. I'd had a shoulder injury before we left, like a strained rotator cuff. And um, on the boat, you're constantly moving around. And in that stretch, the uh, seas were particularly confused. They were, the waves were coming from multiple directions at once. So we were getting tossed around kind of washing machine style. And it was really, it was really hard for me. And uh, we had two other adult crew on board. There's my husband and we had a friend with us. Um, and they could see that. And they said, you know what? We're going to spell you you get a break. You're not going to be on watch for a couple of days. You're just going to rest and you're going to take care of yourself. And you're going to be able to help us stay level because you'll be doing the things you normally do with the kids, helping with meals. But we're going to cover all of the boat stuff. And it was tremendous. The, um, the relief that I had, the mental relief it was that allowed me to have both the, the space to kind of mentally get over the hurt that I was having and then the literal space and time to work on the physical piece of healing as well. Are there any other things that need to be really considered when you are embarking on this kind of uh, on this kind of adventure? Yes, I think part of it is that stuff of everyday life because you have a new normal and you need to probably redistribute the way that that's shared and be checking in uh, to make sure that it's all being handled um, and to know where your lines are. Now that you're all in your home space twenty four seven, the fact that the dishes sit for six hours might have been okay before, but suddenly it's not. So knowing who cares about that, how much it matters um, in terms of mental health um, and taking care of it, if it needs to be taken care of. And I use the dishes as an example, but it could be anything. It could be the laundry on the floor. It could be, you know, cleaning off the shower stall. It could be um, organizing what's going to happen uh, for the next meal. It, you know, any one of a myriad of the very mundane things, which are now entirely different in terms of the way our family dynamics um, are handled. Um, in the passage mode, we have, you know, kind of rules about that. You, we're ha- we have to clean things up as soon as we're done because if you don't, the boat could buck and something could go flying and things may break and people may get hurt. So there's no room for that. Um, it's got to happen right away. Not to say that you have to have immediate action on things um, in the new home confinement situation, but that maybe you need to have some acceptance on what your new norms are going to be that everyone that help keep everyone on an even keel. I think one of the things that's really hard for all of us right now is the uncertainty around the trajectory and the future path. When we crossed from Mexico to French Polynesia, ten, actually 10 years ago today was our departure from Mexico. Wow. Um, it's about 3,000 nautical miles. We knew it would take uh, close to three weeks, around three weeks uh, for the passage. And, and we had care packages um, mysteriously along the way. Um, there were things that 
my parents had sent. We had a halfway celebration, um, which was not necessarily the equator, but we also, of course, had an equator celebration. Um, and each of these were things that we could anticipate and celebrate and, um, and use to mark the time and the passage towards our arrival point. I believe it helps the time march along to get to the end happily. I did not anticipate how much those would help. I really just thought of ways to keep our kids from getting bored and driving us crazy. But in truth, they worked very much um, for the adults on board um, to step out of ourselves as well. Both Bian and Peggy agree you have to be humble enough to recognize when you are not a good team member and let other people help. God, that's hard. But if we are to continue to operate in this total togetherness and to stay on target on this most important mission to keep our communities and our frontline workers safe, we need to learn a few new life skills. Right now, NASA's expeditionary behaviors are on my lesson plan. Speaking of lesson plans, next week on the User's Guide to Now, we're talking homeschool. I'm asking, what is the minimum that I need to do to educate my child to keep her future alive? See you then. Thanks to my guests today, Dr. Peggy Whitson and Bian Gifford. There's plenty more information in today's show notes, so please do have a look for tips, tricks, and life hacks, including activities for your family that teach NASA's expeditionary behaviors. The User's Guide to Now is researched by Meredith Baker, sound designed by Steve Thompson, and produced and presented by me, Alex Kratosky. Thank you for listening, and stay safe in there. <laughs>